And I'll give you some advance notice here. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5 this morning. Is anybody brave enough this week to venture out to any of the uh, uh, supermarkets? Are they, uh, the makers of Charmin are behind this big hoax, and... Um, It's, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting just to uh, see how that trickle-down effect works that uh, when things happen, what people take, right? Um, I'm thinking, man, you know, Walmart's doing good, but the problem is that nobody's going to go shopping for the next three months because they've got everything that they need now. And in three months, Walmart's going to be, we're going to have to close our doors. And I heard it was at Winco, and I mean, I... I, this kind of blew my mind. I had to go to Lowe's yesterday, and I was walking through uh, to, to look at some stain, and they had big signs up there of, over disinfectant and hand sanitizer and that they were limiting quantities as supplies last, and I'm thinking, I didn't even think about Lowe's being someplace, you know, but it's amazing that um, we just have these jerk reactions, right? And I just want to encourage you that uh, be wise, use good discernment, Right? We also have a God that shared with us two things before we get started, and that's this. First of all, we're inheriting a kingdom that cannot be shaken, right? As the world around us shakes and moves and doesn't know what's happening, we're inheriting a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And then secondly, that kingdom is an other's first kingdom, right? That we should be looking for opportunities when the world seems to lose its mind to be a calming force, to be givers when everybody's taking, to thinking of others when everybody's being selfish, this is the opportunity for us to really make a difference. And, and it's not our place to worry about it. And, and also, please don't react to any stuff on Facebook unless you can verify it. I mean, I saw stuff that the National Guard's been called out and all of this. Uh, it's very tough to know the difference between false news and real news. And so make sure before you ever send that or post that or forward that, that, that you verify that so you're not, you're not contributing to fear and spreading uh, wrong information, okay? But we're going to talk about everybody needs somebody. We've been talking about this as week three. And um, last week we talked about everybody needs somebody that will know them personally. And we talked about the woman at the well in Samaria and how Jesus did something that it just seemed to break every norm that was built into that place. It, he, he, he bypassed the culture. He, he did what, it didn't matter what other people thought. He, he spoke to somebody deeply, and he didn't, he didn't overlook the mess of her life, but he spoke to her in such a way that it filled her with hope, and she realized he was the Messiah, and she wanted other people to know him. And I think that's pretty powerful, that Jesus is always going to speak truth into us, but he does it in such a way that it should inspire in us, oh, he still loves me, right? And, and we all know people that have got mess. I mean, we're all people with mess, right? <laughs> and don't you really want somebody to be able to know that and love you anyway? Because to try to keep that hidden, to feel like we're not good enough, it never makes us feel like we're... Uh, full and complete. It never makes us feel like that we are 
the people of God, what we need to be is a community of people that understand that we are flawed, we are imperfect, and yet through Him, we are made perfect. Not through our ability to recreate our histories and hopefully delete any of that mess out of our life. It still happened to us. We're still a product of that. And yet, He can come through and He shines through us, all right? And so, as we read through this today, I want you to understand that these are stories right, about people, and the names, and maybe the situations change, and sometimes it's a, it's a spiritual thing he's speaking of, and sometimes it's a physical thing he's thinking of, sometimes it's a social thing that he's thinking of, all of those areas of our life affect us, but he wants to come in and begin this process of healing, of changing, of hope of reminding you that almost uh, like he did with the woman at the well, none of that's going to stop you, but that's still what's in the process. And so wherever you're going through, whatever hard times you've been there, just realize that he can use that, and the New Testament speaks to that pretty clearly, that he takes all things together, right? You're good, you're bad, you're ugly, and he wants to use them for good if we'll give ourselves the opportunity And we don't shrink back from that, okay? But today we're going to talk about something very important, and that says everybody needs somebody that believes they can change, right? Don't you want somebody to believe that you can change? And usually for the better, right? We know people can change the other way. Uh, You can see that in an instant. You see it, you you saw it this week, right? Uh, My wife was in Walmart. People were rushing about crazily, being rude. And I'm thinking, it's toilet paper. And even more so, you know, and forgive me, I I promise not to rant. Okay? There was a time before us, maybe maybe even you older ones, your, your parents, your grandparents, where they understood that we didn't have the abundance of all the stuff on the shelves that we have today. And they survived and raised big families, right? Nine, ten, twelve kids. And they didn't even know they were poor. And they didn't have indoor plumbing. My grandparents used to rip pages out of magazines for toilet paper. And we can't even think of that today. Oh my God, it's not double quilted scented? Nope. It's right there, Montgomery Wards, the shoe section, right there. Right? But that seems like, oh man, that was back, you know, when Moses was still a kid. No. But we've gotten so used to prosperity, so used to the blessing that God has brought upon us that that we feel like we have to hoard. And I spoke about this month ago, that something inside of us, it, it's revealed in these times. And, and I call it, it's not a spiritual thing. It's just a spiritual issue. It's a, it's a spirit of lack. What if I don't have enough? What if I don't have enough? What if I don't have enough? Well, many people in the world have never had what we have. And guess what? They're living and raising their families, and life goes on. And it seems like we're the crazy ones that lose our brains. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? 
it's going to be okay. It may not look like it ever looked before. Even if this is something that lasts a long time, it's still just a transition. This is not the end of the world. This is not the end of organized society, right? It's going to be okay, but we've got to keep our eyes on Him, not on the weirdness that seems to generate and begin to swirl and pull us in, all right? And we don't want to give into that vortex of fear that just kind of pulls us in, and now then we're sitting there watching the news for 13 hours, and oh my gosh, you hear all the stats, and it's like, so let me throw this out there to you, just so we can keep level. Last year, when we didn't have this virus, 56,000 people died of the flu. The normal flu. <laughs> we haven't had anywhere close to that yet, right? When H1N1 came out, a thousand people died before we ever did anything. And now, I mean, now it seems like, oh, this is the worst thing that's ever hit. It's like the modern-day plague. And I don't know what's generating this, but believe me, fear and some agenda is pushing this. So all I'm asking you is please allow the Spirit of God to prevail, okay? Pray about it. Keep your sights on Him instead of all the, the mongering that's going on out there, all right? So here we go. What a, what a great example uh, of, of how Jesus deals with this. Mark chapter 5, New Testament. Jesus is traveling around showing his followers. Now, I want you to get this. This is not just some random story about some cool dude that just decided to take these travels. This is about Jesus trying to show the people that are following him what he's all about and what he expects them to do as well because he's speaking right to human problems. He's not trying to change the government. He's not trying to run for office. He's not trying to get legislation put forward. He's not trying to tear down the temple. What he's really trying to do is saying, I want you to understand that you know what's important to me? People. People are important to me. Places aren't that important to me. The temple isn't even that much important to me. It's because the temple was made for people. The temple in and of itself does nothing. Religion in and of itself does nothing. It's the people that are the most important. So here we go. He's, he's arriving on the other side of this lake, and, and here's what it says. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man that was possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and he smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Now stop right here for just a minute. Did the evil spirit inside of him bind him with shackles? Did the evil spirits inside of him drive him out of town? You know who did that? People. They saw somebody different. They saw somebody they couldn't control. They saw something that they couldn't explain. And whenever we see something we can't explain, we get afraid. And we do things that we would never do to fellow human beings in situations that seem like that the ends justify the means. And here's a case where they decided, this guy is a little loco, and instead of just dealing with him as a person, let's just tie him up. 
But that didn't work. Now let's kick it back to the spiritual. He had a deep spiritual problem, right? And that was binding him as well. That was his really his biggest problem. But unfortunately, nobody was willing to deal with that problem. They just dealt with, this guy makes us uncomfortable. We need to get him out of here. And you can fill in the blank for whatever you think that means for today, but that is still generally how people deal with others that they don't know what to do. Let's just, let's just get them out of here, shall we? We want to restrict them. We want to bind them. We want to put them someplace. And notice this. He must have kept coming back to town because it said that he was often chained and shackled. Well, the Jews aren't going out to the tombs because they can't be around dead things. That's a, a brooch of their cultural protocol and their ceremonial lifestyle. And so he must keep finding his way back into town. And they say, oh my gosh, he's back. We've got to do something about this. Somebody drag him down. Somebody put some chains on him real quick and we'll see if we can just fix this. And then he breaks out again and he breaks out again. And I can just, I mean, in my mind, and I've got a, you know me, I've got a wild imagination I see this guy that's probably a little dirty, a little crazy hair looking, right? Clothes maybe a little tattered. And imagine all these, like, in our modern day, could you imagine like three or four sets of handcuffs hanging off of him, broken? And he's out howling in the tombs. And he's living in empty burial caves. And he sees Jesus. And the man comes to meet him. And when Jesus, verse 6, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him and did what? He didn't run away. And Jesus didn't run away. I mean, you've seen all those movies probably when you're a kid, the wacko psycho dude. When a person that looks like that guy must have looked starts running towards you, what do you do? Open your arms, hey, come on, let's have a big hug. Is that, I mean, we don't do that. We get back in the boat. Right? He comes running to him. And he bows low before him. Basically, that means he gets on his knees and puts his face on the ground. Amazing. And with a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. Now, now this is interesting to me. Because that man doesn't know he's Jesus, but the spirit inside of him does. And that's pretty interesting that a demonic spirit knows who the Son of God is and understands that he's got the power to do what we can't do and is begging him, please, please don't do anything to me. And yet here we are as rational, intelligent human beings saying, I'm not so sure there's a God. And if he is, he can't do anything. And here's a man where a demon is inside of him. He says, I know exactly what that is, and I know exactly what he can do, and I'm hoping that he's going to be merciful to me. 
Interesting. Verse 8. For Jesus has already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Now listen, listen. When Jesus saw this guy, he didn't ask him about his past. He didn't say, have you been playing with Ouija boards? Hey, have you been to this? Did you dabble in drugs? Did you? Jesus just saw a person and spoke to the problem. He didn't need to know how long. He didn't need to know what therapist he saw. He didn't need to know, well, how many times have they done this to you? He didn't ask any of that. You know what he did? He spoke to the problem. This should give us great ammunition this morning of how to deal with people with problems. Jesus never sympathized with anybody. He had incredible compassion and empathy. But he didn't say, oh, you poor guy, come on over here. Let's, let's talk about your past. Did you have problems with your mom? Is this, is this like a, the physical outpourings of your internal bound, boundness and and are you conflicted right now? And, and I'm not making light of any mental issues, but what I am saying is that sometimes we waste a lot of time instead of just speaking to the problem because the person needs someone to see the problem, not the symptoms, right? Jesus demanded him, what's your name? This part's pretty amazing. My name is Legion. And if those of you that don't study the Bible a lot, Legion is a Roman term that it would mean huge squad formations of soldiers. Depending on whose version of that, that could be anywhere from about uh, a thousand or more of a legion of troops. We're called legion because there are many of us inside the man. And the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. And they said, send us into those pigs, they begged. Let us enter them. I think it's interesting that the demonic spirits want to be around people and want to reside in something living. They don't want to just be in some distant or desert place. And if spirits don't want to be in some distant, desert, isolated place, what does it say about us as a people that tend to isolate ourselves more and more and more and shun community? It's a great question, isn't it? Let us go into the pigs. And interesting, Jesus gave them permission. Right? They didn't twist his arm, but I believe he had the thought process of like, I'll do what you ask because either way it's going to happen. Evil spirits came out of the man and they entered the pigs and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs so how many demons were in this man? Right? Can you imagine what was going on in that man's life? In his mind? Imagine hearing 
2,000 voices, 2,000 demands, 2,000 thought processes of mess and turmoil and darkness, and, and you wonder why he's howling and can't be contained. But that's really the issue, see. When we can't see past the symptoms, we just try to deal with the person that makes us uncomfortable instead of dealing with the issue. And I'm just a farm kid, and every one of us has probably done this. But this is what I call weed-eater spirituality. <laughs> we've got modern technology. We've got what we call weed-eaters, right? Whether they be battery-operated, electric, whatever they may be, and they've got a little spool of string on there, and we fire those things up, and and when we see weeds, what do we do? It doesn't go in and grab the roots. What does it do? It cuts off the exposed part, right? Did it kill the weed? Because you know what's going to happen in just a few days, right? <laughs> you see, this is what's happening in our world is we just want to, oh, that, we see the dandelion, so let's just cut them down with a weed eater. And I tell you, if you keep that practice up, you'll have more, weed, you'll have more dandelions than you had before. <laughs> Because for everyone you cut down, they just send out roots and they'll come up someplace else or they'll regrow again. In fact, these plants are so smart, those of you that mow your yard a lot, they'll start going down to the height of the grass. Hiding in plain sight. And I ask you with compassion this morning, when you see the dandelions of this world, we don't just deal with the visible portion, we've got to get to the root. That's the only way it's going to be dealt with. It's the only way that it's going to keep from spreading. It's the only way that's going to ensure that that dandelion doesn't make more dandelions. If you've ever heard of generational curses, I believe this is part of that process, is that we just deal with the symptoms on the outside, but we never deal with the root, and we pass that fear, and we pass that bigotry, and we pass that whatever that curse may be on to the next child, and the next child, and the next child, and all we try to do is keep it hidden instead of dealing with it or giving it over to God or confessing it to one another so we can pray about it and allow the Lord Jesus Christ to remove that out of our life. And it can be invasive. It should be invasive because it's pulling something a root. Melissa and I are watching this, uh, this documentary on Prime Video, and these guys were in uh, Honduras, and they were doing, like, up in the woods in the middle of nowhere in the hill country for all these poor villagers. They were doing a basic medical care. And they brought in a dentist. And you... You already heard me talk about how blessed and how prosperous that we are. Well, no anesthesia, no shots, just the hand tools. And these little kids and bigger kids, the guy would put them in a chair as all the rest of the kids are looking through the open window. <laughs> talk about reality TV. <laughs> One hand on the guy's forehead, the other hand, the tool, the extractor on there, and he's just... 
And you see this big, long root on that tooth. And I'm thinking, we know how traumatic that is after anesthesia, right? <laughs> and the guy sat there. They put a little bit of gauze on. He got up and he walked home. We would think, that's barbaric. I would have that guy's license. I don't know that he had a license. But he had some tools, right? Sometimes it can be like, and isn't it amazing? I don't hear it that much anymore, but I grew up with us hearing things like that phrase. Something is difficult. We say, yeah, it's like pulling teeth. Have you ever heard that phrase before? You know why they say that? Because it's anchored in your jawbone, right? And a lot of the things that we're dealing with that we pass on and we pass on and never get out of our life, we won't because it requires a threshold of being able to endure while that thing is removed from us. And it's, it's hard. And it can be painful emotionally and spiritually and sometimes even physically. If, if every person in the world already knows that addiction is killing them, they could beat the addiction, but they won't go through the pain and the emotional threshold that is required. And here's the spiritual problem. The man has 2,000 demons inside of him and is begging. I think he's begging for help because he's still a man. He lets them go into the pigs. The pigs run down the, the hillside and into the lake, and they're drowned in the water. Here's what's interesting. The herdsmen that were there and watching this, they, they flee to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, telling the news as they go. And people rushed out to see what's happened. Rush out to confront Jesus, the pig killer. I'm sure the people for the ethical treatment of animals was called, and a crowd soon gathers. But you know what they see? They see the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting, clothed, and perfectly sane. And look at their response. They weren't like, This is awesome, man. Welcome back to society. And he said, and they were all afraid. And I completely get this. I've had those experiences with God where it feels like it's very invasive, almost like an x-ray process, and I want to push back, but I wasn't smart enough to even do that, and I just... And a lot of the stuff, a lot of the baggage, a lot of the mess of my childhood. God removed it. But it wasn't like, oh, that was easy. And I'm saying that freedom, true freedom, in every area, is available to any person that will allow God to do this. But I also know that there are many of us that are afraid that he would know it. And I'm telling you, he already knows it. If he's God, and he is, he already knows 
what's keeping you down. He already knows what's all bound up inside of you. He already knows your super dark secret. And he loves us anyway. He just wants it out. And yet those people were afraid of that power, afraid of, I hope he doesn't look into me. I hope he... And I'll tell you why, because these guys were people that were raising pigs and were Jews and shouldn't have been raising pigs. And they thought, if he can do that with demons, he's going to come out here and correct us for, for our lifestyle. He's going to come out here and say, you, you bad people, you shouldn't be doing this. But that's not who Jesus is. This is the Jesus that sits with drunks and gluttons and whores and tax collectors and doesn't condemn them and doesn't condone it. Because he wants to build the rapport with them that when you're ready, I'm ready. When you're, when you're ready to be free from this, you can be free from the images and the memories of the abuse and the nasty details and the, the things that your folks said and didn't say and did and didn't do. You can, you can be free of all of that, but you have to be ready for Jesus to deal with it. And I think many times we're afraid because it's become part of us. I'll tell you what, I've had my wisdom teeth out, and I'm glad they're gone. And they were part of me. They were in there. But I also know the side effects many times of those as well. And there's stuff that's in us, but it doesn't mean it has to be permanent. That's the beauty and the grace and the mercy and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they see somebody that they thought nobody could fix, somebody that's beyond change, somebody that we just have to keep tying him up and hopefully someday he just dies and he, he's not a problem anymore. And this is happening in our world and we're labeling people problems, and, but they're people. They're just people. Verse 16, then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. Imagine what he could have done if someone had come and said, if he can do that for him, Lord, free me from my pride. Free me from going from relationship to relationship. Lord, free me from the insecurity and the abuse and that fear of religion. Lord, free me from my past and my memories and my crushed dreams and fill in the blank. He could have fixed it all. And yet, they pleaded, you got to go. you got, you got to go. <laughs> and I wonder how many people today, not just in this room, but around the world and in churches all over, that whenever there truly is a move of God, it creates fear in them instead of hope. I don't want him to really see. He has already seen and he looks with compassion, right? I find it amazing that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, 
of the time didn't do anything for this guy. In fact, they probably helped bind him or ordered him bound since they couldn't touch him because he was unclean. And I think it's amazing that it's no accident that Jesus came to this spot like he didn't know where he was. <laughs> and he didn't run. And he didn't get back in the boat and said, hey, hey, I don't have time for this. Everybody needs somebody that believes they can change. Prior to me getting saved, I was a different person. And I'm thankful that God sent somebody that believed I could change. I'm thankful He put me in a church where people who didn't know my past treated me like a person. Treated me with compassion. That prayed for me. That baptized me. That helped disciple me. But imagine if we have to stop everybody and say, now before we, before we spend a bunch of time with you, I need to know how much baggage do you have? Because, you know, 2,000 demons and Jesus is like, I want to fix this. <laughs> and the great part is he fixed it so that those 2,000 demons didn't find somebody else. begged him to go. And in fact, if the scripture is true word for word, and it depends on your version, they basically said, you need to leave and leave us alone. Right? Wow. He didn't get in the boat when the demonic man came. He gets in the boat when the crowd demands that he leaves. Notice who asked to go with him. As he gets in the boat, the demon-possessed man who had been demon-possessed begs him to go with him. Church, this is going to be uh, maybe feel a little sharp this morning, but it needs to right here and now. How long had this man been saved? Minutes, right? Nobody had to convince him, beg him, plead with him, or instruct him to follow Jesus. You know what happens when you're truly saved? You follow Jesus. And all this mess of, well, I didn't give me follow-up. I'm not sure I had any time in Sunday school. That is a bunch of excuses. The people that are really saved really follow Jesus. Because when you understand what He did for you and He really moved in your life, you want to follow Jesus. And if you don't, it doesn't mean that you're not a good person. And it doesn't mean, maybe you're thinking, well, what's wrong with me? Maybe what's wrong with you is you saw something else as your Savior. And you need to make sure that you have had a you and Jesus moment, not a you and church moment. 
you and some neighbors moment, you and a pastor moment, you need a you and Jesus moment, and then you'll know who saved you and cleansed you and made you whole and has the ability to lead you forever. But if you haven't, no wonder people want him to go. No wonder people don't have time for him. No wonder people want to sit back and take pot shots and, well, you know, he's this kind of a guy. That He's the type of guy that wants everybody to be free and be the best that they can be. He's not judgmental. He is all-inclusive. Everybody can come to me. And yet, these people couldn't see it, and we just need you to go. You make us uncomfortable. Leave us alone. And I'm sure it broke his heart. But the man that had seen and experienced Jesus one-to-one, the man that knew that Jesus knew he could be changed and changed him, he begs him, please let me go with you. Please. And I think that's one of the reasons he kept going back into town, is that humanity inside of him, we're not designed to live by ourselves. And he kept going back into town to find his place, to find his God, to find his way. And yet people would shackle him and drive him off, much like they were doing Jesus. Look what he says. No. You don't need to come with me. I want you to go home to your family. Look at what he's telling them. What? home to your family and I want you to tell them everything God has done for you and how merciful he has been you see I've got a bunch of other people I got to go talk to about how good and merciful I am but you you go to your family and I'll tell you why I think he did this this is Tony's version because the Bible didn't explain but I'll bet you if his family, I bet you if his mom and dad and brothers and sisters, whoever his family is, were actually God-fearing people, I'll bet you they'd been praying for him for years. God, please bring Tommy back. I'm, I'm sure his name wasn't Tommy because he's Jewish. But please free him. I hope that he's okay. Lord, last time we saw him, he looked like a wild man. Lord, Save him, Lord, bring him home. Bring my boy home. Jesus understands the power of relationship. He says, I want you to go home to your family. You show them. You don't tell them. You show them. God has heard their prayers, restored you, and he can restore them. Restore their hope, restore their faith, restore their peace, bulk up their prayer life. This is, this is why we must interact with each other. This is why as we have our problems and our, and, our, and our incredible victories, we have to be around each other because we never know who needs to see which. God is a God that fixes all of this, and He knows we can change. In fact, He hopes so. That's why He came. But if we don't believe that anybody can change, we're on a crash course with our world. We've got to believe it can change. 
We've got to keep praying that it changes. We can't just give over to the negativity and the fatalistic views of this world and all the maddening stuff. We've got to be people that say, Lord, this nation can change. Lord, our government can change. Lord, this community can change. Lord, that neighbor that I just wish he would pack up and move, he can change. The things at my work, they can change. My kids who I've had a, a wacko relationship with, they can change. The anger inside of me, the fear inside of me, the addiction inside of me, it can change. But not just because we want it to, we need to have a Jesus encounter. And that's what I can't provide for you other than to keep pointing you to Him. But we're supposed to be people that believe other people can change. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region. So he's heading back through. Look at this. Jesus is so smart, right? I've got somebody that's begging me to follow him. I'm going to send him home, and I know where his home is. And this guy starts walking through the ten towns, or the Decapolis. That's what that means, ten towns. Through ten towns, he starts proclaiming what? The great things that Jesus, did Jesus say, everywhere you go from now on, I want you to share this story? But again, a person that's encountered Jesus, they can't help but share what Jesus has done. <laughs> and he's walking through ten towns saying, you guys wouldn't believe it. You guys remember me? You probably don't even recognize me, but I used to be the guy that used to cause all the problems up in the tombs. Remember me? No, that can't be you. It is. It's me. Well, how did this happen? Great question. Telling the great things that Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he told them. Church, can we still have the ability to amaze the world? Because we still have a God that's amazing, right? And the whole world around us seems to have tried to bring him down to a very normal, oh, he's just a guy. And you're just, you know, you're just people that go someplace different on Sunday. There's nothing amazing about that. You know what's amazing? Is when people change because Jesus has changed them. And they can't shut up about it and they keep following him. And yet we've been provoked almost like, you better not share that. Or what? I mean, when's the last time you saw somebody arrested for sharing Jesus in the Americas? Like there's been some legislation. You can't talk to other people about Jesus. Why are we letting the world dictate what we're going to say and how we're going to experience Him and how amazing He is? The amazing part is that we interact with people all the time and that they're the amazing thing of Jesus. They are somebody that God has saved. Just a few things before we go. Every person needs to know that they are more than the sum of their worst moments. Show of hands, anybody ever had a bad day? I mean, like a really bad day? Okay. What if that was the only snapshot that somebody saw of you? That was their encounter with you that day. 
Do you want that to be your legacy for the rest of your life? You see, I believe that God gives us the opportunity to overcome our previous legacies. My aha moment about all of that was my 20th high school reunion. I'd been saved for quite a while at that point, was in ministry. But none of those people knew what had happened to me. Everything on the outside looked pretty much the same. But almost one by one, as people found out, the pastor? They get this weird look on their face like they don't know what to do with that. And this wonderful lady that I went to school with said, well, we're having the big class dinner. Would, would you pray? And I had a moment of like, But I did it, and it was awkward because none of those people knew Tony the saved man. They knew the wild child I was before. One of the other things that changed was conversations because when people only know your previous legacy, you got a lot to share. Remember that time when we, not many people want to have those communications when you're now a pastor or a Christian. But we have to be ones that believe that when somebody's in their worst moment, it's not them, it's just a bad moment. And that tomorrow may be different. Also, you need to remember that what you do is not you, especially the bad stuff. What you do is not you. It's just something you did. It's something that happened to you. It's something, but it's not you. And we can either allow shame to say you can't because, but love undoes the shame restores our identity, restores our worth, restores our purpose. You want to know why I believe the world's acting up? I think they've lost who they are. I think we've forgotten as people who we are and what our purpose is because it's a lot more than just going to work and making money. That's just what we do. The real question is, who are you? What were you made for? If we were made for money, then God would have started us out that way, but he didn't. He made us to be in his presence. He made us to be in relationship with each other. And he made us to be in interaction with the world around us. It had nothing to do with money. Who are you? What's your purpose? What's he created you for? Because that's the real you in you. And if you don't know what that is, I probably don't have the answer, but I'll tell you, you can talk to the one who does. 
and he'll reveal to you who you really are. He'll remind you, because if you've really had a Jesus encounter, that begins to happen. And I want to pray right now before we go any farther. For those of you still under the burden of shame, like that song that we sang, shame is still saying to you, you can't because today's the day you can be free. Not because of this sermon, not because of PowerPoint, but because Jesus Christ is powerful and merciful and mighty and compassionate and kind and generous and he is the son of God. Would you bow your heads? I want to pray for you. Lord, if there's anybody here still struggling with shame, God, remind them that shame will limit them and yet you bring a new creature. Lord, the New Testament reveals that. Paul says that when we've accepted Jesus Christ that we are made new. We are born again. He makes us into a new creature. And everything is new. So God, I pray that you would free anybody that's bound by shame right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. God, let them trust you. Let them understand that your love will remove the shame. It'll undo the pain and the grudges and the hatred and the mess and it'll restore their identity it'll restore their self-worth it'll restore their purpose in this life yes they're still going to have a job yes they're probably still raising kids and grandkids and still married but Lord you've got a purpose you've got an identity you've got a value placed on every human being so Lord I pray that love the great love of Jesus Christ would undo the process of shame this morning and that we would walk in it by faith. Amen.